Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? Pastor Xavier Reese knows the simple truth. The Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying regarding this person. They understood him to say that he was God. Now, often people say, where in the New Testament does it say Jesus is God? Where did he say it? Where do people say he is? It's all over. They didn't accuse him. They didn't crucify him for any other reason except that he made himself out to be God. It's very, very clear. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Well, Pastor Xavier, we're right at the beginning of a new series on the broadcast of the Gospel of John. What did you want to tell us about it as we get started today? Well, Aaron, it's simply that John has very clearly declared that Jesus is the Son of God, the Eternal One. And he begins his gospel that way. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was of God, and God was the Word. He moves on to being the I Am of the Old Testament. He is the one who is the door to the Father. In fact, the very purpose why John wrote the gospel is given to us in chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life in his name. And that's what the word life is indicating, eternal life. And so for someone to say that Jesus is not God is really ludicrous, not only from the Gospel of John, but the entire Old and New Testament. So we're going to have a great time seeing exactly what John says about the eternal one. And by the way, as you're listening to the program, please don't forget to give us a bus. Drop us a line. We're doing our part. We don't want your money. We just want to hear from you to know that we're being good stewards. So may the Lord bless you. And I'll be giving our address in the close of the program. But for now, let's get right into the message you're calling the eternal Lagos, Jesus. The opening five verses of John's prologue is the Grand Canyon of scriptures regarding the person of Jesus Christ, in my opinion. I mean, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? It's whoa. It's overwhelming. And so are these five verses. The theme of the gospel is Jesus, the Son of God. The message of the gospel is salvation to all who will believe. The means to the gospel is grace through faith. And the gift of the gospel is forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. John uses the term logos to identify and describe the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal God who became incarnate to die for the sins of the world as the Savior of the world, that in believing in him, man could have eternal life in his name. Let me read you the first two verses, and then I will give you the four points. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Four things we want to look at. First, the first portion of verse 1, the Word existed before time, the Logos. First portion of verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Notice the word Logos. That was in the beginning, according to John, is no other than the person of Jesus Christ. The beginning of time came after the Logos. The Logos was already there in the beginning. You need to understand that. Notice the word was. 
In the beginning was the Word. It is in the imperfect durative sense that they call. And it implies continuous existing, reaching back from the point of the beginning. In the beginning was. He was there already when time began, and it's reaching back. Genesis is pointing forward. There's a difference. The testimony of John in the book of Revelation is that Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is, who was, and who is to come, Revelation 1.8. A description that is given to the Father in the Old Testament is given to the Son. A vivid description of his eternal existence. In fact, John says his name is the Logos of God in Revelation 19.13. His name is the Word of God. And so... The word, the logos, existed before time. It's the first thing he tells about the word in eternity. Second thing he tells us is that the word existed with God before time, but was distinct from God. The second portion of verse 1. And the word was with God. Now notice the logos has already been declared to pre-exist from eternity. We've already proved that in the first portion of verse 1. The Logos has also already been identified as Jesus. It is one of his titles used by John. The Logos is now said to be with God. Mark that. With God. The very structure of the sentence demands the presence of two persons. The two cannot be the same person. Do you ever say, oh, yeah, I was with me? If you do, they're going to call the loony farm for you. When you use the word with, you're implying someone else in your presence. You are with your wife, your husband, your children, or with somebody. But you're not with somebody when you're by yourself. Now, the book of the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Ascribe plurality to the Godhead. The very title God in the opening verse of Genesis, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth, ascribes a compound unity. The word El means one. Allah means two. Elohim means three or more. In the very first verse of the opening chapter of God's revelation, God says, In the beginning, the Trinity created the heavens and the earth. Now, you will never find the word Trinity, but you will find the doctrine plastered from the first verse of Genesis to the very close of the book of Revelation. The conversation of the Godhead is recorded for us in the first chapter of Genesis, verse 26. After he created everything, in the sixth day he's creating man. Here's the conversation. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who is God talking to? The horny toads and lizards? Our image, our likeness. It's the Godhead. Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit. The Shema of Israel, which is found in Deuteronomy 6.4. The Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The word for one is the word Yahid, which means a compound unity of one. If God wanted to communicate an absolute one, he would have used the word Akkad. You know where else the word Yahid, the compound unity of one, is used? In Genesis when he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become Yahid, one flesh. Two people, but they're one flesh. How interesting. So the opening verse speaks of the Trinity. The conversation is recorded of the Trinity. And the Shema of Israel affirms and reminds his people of the Trinity. Now notice also the word with. It implies certain things. First, the word implies presence. John tells us that the only begotten Son dwelt in the presence of God. Where? In the bosom of the Father. Chapter 1, verse 18, the last verse of the prologue. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And by the word, the word declared there means uh, it's, we get our word exegesis from, to reveal, to unveil. Now, when somebody grabs your head and puts it to their bosom, you're in their presence. You're intimately connected with them. Secondly, the word implies unity. Jesus said, I and the Father are one in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one, unity. Male, female, husband and wife, one. Not two, one. Yet there's distinction, right? But they're one. The word implies also fellowship. Jesus said, I came from the Father and I've come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. He also declared in his prayer to the Father about his pre-existing glory with the Father before the world was. And you find both of those in John 16, 28 and 17, 5. The fourth and last thing the word implies is shared nature. A shared nature, essence and substance. Jesus told Philip, listen to his words, he who has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 9. Didn't remember Philip, he said, oh Lord, you know, just show us the Father, it'll suffice us. Philip, have I been so long a time with you? <laughs> He who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like, then you get a good view of Jesus. It would be like if um, you've never met my son, and I called you up on the phone, I said, listen, uh, my son's going to come by and drop off that letter to you. And you say, well, how will I know him? I say, well, you know what I look like? Yep, you'll know my son. There's a great resemblance. And yet we're two distinct persons. And so 
The word existed with God before time, but he was distinct from God. Two persons. Notice thirdly, he tells us, regarding the word in eternity, that the word existed as God before time. You notice the progression? It's their step. He says, in the beginning was the Logos. Then he takes the last word, Logos, and he says, and the Logos was with God. And then he begins the next one, and the word was God. You say, oh, there's a, there's, it doesn't do it there. Oh, yes, it does in the original Greek, and I'll show you that. It says, and God was the word. If you change any of those any other way, you destroy the theology and the deity of Jesus Christ. It's airtight. You cannot mess with it. And so the word existed as God before time is his third point to us. And the word was God. Now, here there is an article before the term logos, showing the logos to be the subject describing nature. The logos is a subject, and because of the article here, it describes nature. There is also no article before the title God. And the word was God. No article. It doesn't say, and the word was the God, a God. There's no article. So the fact that there's an article before the word logos and the fact that there's no article before the, the title God implies certain things explicitly in the Greek syntax and grammatical structure. It affirms again the distinctness of two persons, what he's just established before. Now, the clear proclamation is that whoever the Logos is, he is God, not a power emanating from God, but a person in presence of God, equal to God and distinct from God, yet not other than God. You notice how many words I have to tell you? John says, in the beginning was the word, the words of God, and God was the word. That's it. The Grand Canyon. It is loaded. Literally, the Greek says, as I told you, and God was the word. And you can change that in your Bible so it reads, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word. That's what the Greek says, Okay. Remember, many times in English, we, we listen to other people speak their language, and we think they're speaking backwards. But we're the ones who speak backwards. You know, we say, um, that's a red car. Everybody else in the world says, car red. And this is the case in point right here. It's reverse. Now, the Jewish leader said, for a good work, we do not stone you, when they talk to Jesus, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man, make yourself God, John 10, 33. You see, the Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying regarding this person. They understood him to say that he was God. Now, often people say, where in the New Testament does it say Jesus is God? Where did he say it? 
Where do people say he is? It's all over. That's just one. They didn't accuse him. They didn't crucify him for any other reason except that he made himself out to be God. It's very, very clear. And so the word existed, the logos, as God before time. Very clear. Now, John tells us one more thing, the fourth and last. And we find that in verse 2. The word existed with God in the beginning of time. He was in the beginning with God. Now, the statement is more than mere repetition. Trust me, as we'll look at it. But let's just say that even if it was mere repetition, it would be invaluable. You know why? Because you and I learn by repetition. The Old Testament says line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. There used to be an old professor used to say repetition teaches a donkey, so we all qualify. And we stay in the Word. And we are reminded of what we will soon forget. But it's not mere repetition. But if it was, that would be enough. It would be valuable. But secondly, the statement is a summary of the preceding verse. And in this summary, the statement gives emphasis to three facts. Three facts. Don't miss them. First, the Logos, Jesus, is eternal with God the Father. He's eternal with God the Father. Secondly, the Logos Jesus was already there with God the Father in the beginning of time as man knows it. They were there. Time did not beat them. Time did not exist until God made provisions for time to begin in the event of creation. Thirdly, the Logos, Jesus, is God, the second person of the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is a mystery in itself. Yet all three persons of the Godhead are called God, equal, and yet one God. Any illustration that I can give to you for the Trinity will break down if you push it too far. But one of the greatest illustrations I can give to you is the fact that you and I are an inferior trinity. I am body, I am soul, and I am spirit. Okay? And I believe the scriptures teach that. But that's another teaching another time. The Father is called eternal in Isaiah 44, 6. The Son is called eternal. Revelation 1.17 by the very title that is given to Him. It's given to the Father and the Father is eternal. The Holy Spirit is called eternal. The eternal Spirit in Hebrews 9.14. All three persons are called eternal and rightly so because they are all God. They can be nothing but God. All three are called God directly, not only by the title 
eternal, which is the attribute of God that is not given to man in the same fashion, yet we do gain eternal life from him. The Father calls the Son God. In Hebrews 1.8, he says, Thy throne, O God, I have prepared for you. God the Father calls the Son God in Hebrews 1.8, quoting the psalm. Peter identifies and calls the Holy Spirit God. You remember in Acts chapter 5, verse 3 through 4, the case there is Ananias and Sapphira who sold their land and, and made a big pretense that they gave all their money but only gave part. And Peter says, why did you lie unto the Holy Spirit? And then he says, you did not lie unto man but to God. Peter, very clearly, and these are just one of many passages. He calls the Holy Spirit God. I trust I don't have to give you passages for the Father being called God. <laughs> They're all over the Old Testament as well as the New. All three are said to be omnipotent, all-powerful. Now, we know that Jesus limited himself for a set time in his incarnation, but he still remained God. Philippians says being in the form of God, and the word being in the form of God is an antecedental condition, which means that he was God before he came. He continued to be God when he was here, and he was God when he left, and he's still God up there in heaven. Why? Because he's God. He can be nothing but God. Yet he limited himself for a time, willfully, in obedience to the Father for the redemptive work of salvation of lost man. Did Jesus not say, go to the fish and grab the coin and pay our taxes? Did he not say, go take the coal and tie them, and when they tell you, what are you doing, say, hey, it's for the master? How interesting. The Father sent the Son. The Father is revealed by the Son. The Father testifies of the Son. The Son points us to the Father. The Son is a picture of the Father. The Son announces the coming of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks and reveals the Son, and the Holy Spirit draws us to the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. <laughs> How interesting. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I do always those things that please the Father. Hmm. Incredible. The word, the logos, existed with God in the beginning of time. The logos is Jesus Christ who has existed from all eternity. And now, at this point, John gives to us a record that he was coming in fulfillment of the prophecies to become man. Mm. We have looked at four things regarding the Logos and eternity in verses 1 and 2 of the first chapter of John. The Logos existed before time. The Logos existed with God before time, but was distinct from God. The Logos existed as God before time, and the Logos existed with God in the beginning of time. Whoa. Do you see what I mean, that it's the Grand Canyon? 
overwhelming. Oh, thank the Father for the Son and His faithfulness. Pastor Xavier Reese, recapping for us all that's implied regarding the deity in Christ, packed into just the first two verses of the Gospel of John. And as a matter of fact, there's even more to this message than our limited time on the air allows us to feature on this broadcast. And so we'd be happy to make a CD copy of the entire study presented by Pastor Xavier available upon request. The title to ask for is The Eternal Lagos Jesus, Part 1. Both what you heard today and last time will be included in your own copy of the study, once again called The Eternal Lagos Jesus, Part 1, sent to you for just $4 when you contact us. And here's the address. Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please let us know the call letters of this radio station when you contact us. Providing that information is a great help in determining the effectiveness of this radio ministry. Well, next time, Pastor Xavier will begin again at the beginning and give us a fresh look at the simple truths of creation and its creator. Hope you'll be along. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 